So hey guys, we're back for another podcast at the end of the year. It's the end of December. We're going into 2022 and I am super excited about this one because I've been wanting to interview this lady for a long time and her name is Pam Potter and she has an amazing story and she's involved with the WWHA and she's even what I'm really I we're going to talk about is her family. We're going to talk about her family and talk about her and she's got an amazing like amazing story and I think you guys are going to love it. Now, of course, we always start off with a tombstone epitaph, and that is Arizona's longest running paper. And so if you're like me and you love tombstone and you love southern Arizona and you love western history, I like to touch it. Like I like to be in the middle of it, and a newspaper is, is the best way to go. Um, it's really great. The If you guys have been hearing me for the last year or so, uh, subscriptions are 25 bucks for one year. Two for 45 or three for 60. Now, I urge you to do the three for 60 because you end up saving like $15 overall. And the best thing about it is, is if you do the three year, Mark Boardman, who is the editor, like he's not going to show up at your house every year. Like every year he flies around and knocks on people's door and like, I, I, I want my check. And so that that's actually not true. But if Mark's listening, I'm that's not true. But um, it's really the best way to get a hold of history and touch it and you can read it and you can go back to it. It's not on a Kindle. It's not on a mobile device. It is just the best way to get Western history. And that is the Tombstone Epitaph. And you can uh, subscribe at Tombstone Epitaph. That's E-P-I-T-A-P-H. Epitaph. Tombstone Epitaph. Dot com And I totally urge you, and Bob Bozbell uh, is in the middle. He gets the middle section, and it's all sorts of artwork. God, there's just so much going on in the epitaph. So I urge you to become a subscriber. Of course, we're going to say something about the WWHA, the Wild West History Association. I'm a member. I know for a 100 billion percent that Pam is a member, and she's a past president, and she's been involved with WWHA from the very beginning. Now, for me, I haven't been involved, involved from the beginning, but I'm super excited to be a member because it brings to you history that is not like you would get in a magazine. It's deep research. The people that write the articles are the tops in the, in the Western history field. They true provenance. They, they research everything. You're not going to get like a, the journal is like a quarter inch thick. It's over a hundred pages long. And the reason I say to join, join, excuse me, WWHA is you get the saddlebag, you get the website, and then you get invited to go up to uh, the, the roundup, which this year is going to be in Rapid City, um, uh, Deadwood, Oh my God, it's so crazy. Like, I can't wait to be there. And I think you want to be there too. And you can do so by becoming a member at the WWHA. Now, the memberships, they tell me sometimes they're a little pricey. And I'll be like, you know what? It's not that pricey. Because what you get is solid researched history. And if you get like magazine after magazine after magazine after magazine, you know, it's chock full of ads. Not the journal. The journal is just straight, deep researched. Now, to become a member of the WWHA, one year is 75 bucks, two for 125 or three for 175 Now, just do the 175 get it over with, and then that way you don't have to worry because Pam will, will fly to your house and knock on your door and say, where's my check, right? Is it? No. No, you won't do that. Okay. So, but 
honestly, I mean, you save a lot of money by doing the three-year subscription, and it really is the best way to go. Now, if you want to see more about it, go to wildwesthistory.org. That's www.wildwesthistory.org. And that is the way to go. And then you become, become a subscriber to the Epitaph, become a member of Wild West History uh, Association, and you are going to be covered in Western history up to your eyeballs. And that's exactly the way you want to be. Now, I met Pam a couple of years ago at TTR, and that's the Tombstone Territory Rendezvous that is a history event in Tombstone in October. And we connected, but we kind of didn't, I kind of watched her from a distance and didn't really sure how she tied into everything because she is everywhere in Western history. She's involved with WWHA and she is living in Texas and she is um, with a a great guy named Eddie and they help restore um, uh, or bring tombstones to graves is that correct you guys do all that and yeah we do we go out to uh well actually it's uh, a group we call team upson because we originally were looking for the grave of ash upson and there's several of us that are members including uh roy young chuck parsons myself eddie and after we found ash's grave we decided this is fun let's go find some more and because Eddie likes to video, we decided to go out and start videoing uh, some of the graves and some of the places we went. And then we ended up creating a YouTube channel for the Wild West History Association. And you can find that uh, website or actually YouTube channel at Wild West History Association. And you'll be able to watch some videos. And he does some great videos. Eddie, uh, is a, he just volunteers his time. He's just a good dude. And uh, he does some great stuff. So check it out at Wild West History on YouTube Association and subscribe. Make sure you hit the little bell and then uh, you'll get all the newest updates and all the thing that's going on. But, you know, Pam and I kind of went around each other. We kind of looked at each other and I wasn't sure about her and, and I'm brand new. I mean, I've only been in the history part for about four or five years. And, um, and part of that was getting to know Pam. And this year at TTR, we really got to know each other and... And she was somebody that I really admire, and I wanted to, I wanted you guys to find out about Pam because she does some crazy stuff, and she's just a super nice lady, and um, I think you guys are going to love meeting Pam. So, y- welcome, Pam. Do we need to cover anything else? I think we got everything covered, right? You, you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, did did we get everything covered? Hello. Oh, we lost you. Oh, there you are. Oh, we're back. Are you okay. moving around the house? <laughs> I'm no, I haven't moved. Okay. Are you uh are you on earbuds? No. Okay. Well we'll keep going then. <laughs> so we met and and I found out a lot about you. For example, uh, Pam grew up in an area of, t- of of era of TV TV cowboys. Um Hoppy was one of her favorite. Um what else do we have? You, you rode horses, you've been involved with uh, uh, NOLA a long time ago, and then you became part of Western, uh, the Wilders History Association from the very beginning. And right. you also did some other stuff, like you were in a, a, a posse, a mounted posse? I was a mounted reserve deputy sheriff in California, so I got to uh, ride my horse 
and I had a Smith and Wesson revolver. We had revolvers back then. I had a Smokey the Bear hat. So yeah, it was pretty cowboy. We did search and rescue and crowd control, looking for bodies, uh, just all kinds of interesting things. So I got to play cowboy and uh, be part of the law enforcement community. But your whole family's been involved in it because it looked like I went to your Facebook and your husband, who's no longer with us, he was involved too. And your kids were involved. Like the whole family, the whole Potter family was just involved in Western history and the Western lifestyle, correct? Yeah, I kind of got them involved. (laughs) I'm not sure they would have been involved if it wasn't for me, but I became a member of the Single Action Shooting Society. And my husband had never ridden horses until um, he met me. And then he became as much, if not more, of a cowboy than myself. And uh, my son's middle name is McLowry, as is my grandson. So it was kind of, you know, they kind of were forced into it, but they embraced it. Well, you bring up the McLowry part, and that's what... Besides all this other stuff that you do, and you now live in Texas, and and I'm watching Pam on social media going to all these graves, and she's she's enjoying her new state. She's a Californian. She moved to Texas, and she is becoming a Texan and just traveling. She's just seeing everything that she can. When yes, when when we talked more at TTR. You ended up saying that you were also a McClowry. Can explain that, share that, because that's an amazing story. My great grandmother, Sarah Caroline McClowry, was between Tom and Frank, age wise. And Tom and Frank McClowry were killed in the gunfight at the OK Corral. So I like to say that I learned to hate Wyatt Earp at my father's knee. He's the one who told me the story about the gunfight at the OK Corral, uh, how my great-granduncles were involved and how the family felt about it. And, of course, I got the family version. Then as I grew up and, you know, went to school and started, you know, learning about history, I found that it wasn't quite that black and white. I started reading the books that supported my family story, uh, authors like uh, Odie Falk was one of them. And then I started researching a little more and finding that there were other sides to this story. And I was determined to find out what really happened at the gunfight at the OK Corral and how my grandmother's brothers were involved. My grandmother didn't talk about it much, according to my father. She was very hurt by what had happened, and the whole family was very hurt. In fact, some family members changed the spelling of their name. I have a cousin who their name is spelled, I think, M-C-L-A-U-R-I-E, because they were trying to disassociate themselves from the gunfight. Whereas my side of the family took the opposite stance, my uncle's middle name is McLowry. I have a cousin whose middle name is McLowry. My son and my grandson are both have middle names of McLowry. And I think my cousin's son also has that middle name. So we're very proud of that name. But let's go back a little bit. Your grandmother 
and family is teaching you that Wyatt Earp and the Earps and Holiday, they were really evil people, I would assume, right? They were saying, you know what, that they were innocent, the McClowries were innocent, and they were murdered. They were murdered in the streets of Tombstone. Right. Well, that's what my uh, my grandmother told my father. It's my great grandmother. So um, I never met her. But yes, um, her daughter, my grandmother uh, and her, because my father really wished he'd sat down and talked to uh, Sarah Caroline McClowry uh, more about this whole story. So when you started researching it, though, and you got this bug about I need to know the truth. Did it uncover anything to where you went, holy cow, what my family is telling me and what is the truth from different perspectives, correct, right? From different, because there was the truth, there was what happened with the McClowries and the Earps and all that. Did it all of a sudden, did you one day just say, oh my gosh, this is not right? Or did you say to yourself, I need to learn more? It was more, I I need to learn more. And originally, I gravitated to the people who thought like I did. You know, they were murdered on the streets of Tombstone. You know, murder was the the proper language. And that was kind of the philosophy I started with. But then I started finding out, well, there's a lot more to it. And it's interesting because so much of my family is in law enforcement. You look at, there's a lot of lawyers in the McLowry family. I was about a reserve deputy. My son-in-law is a deputy sheriff. So I kind of had to start looking at it from a different perspective. But of course, things were a lot different in 1881 than they are now. And back then, it sort of had a black and white stance too. I mean, the word cowboy was almost a dirty word. And yes, Tom and Frank were cowboys. So they had their supporters and their detractors, as the Earps had their supporters and their detractors. So I don't know that there was necessarily even a right or wrong or a good and bad then or now. They're still arguing about who shot first, who was right, who was wrong, which witnesses uh, really saw what they said they saw. So I think it's just one of those stories that's just going to keep going on. What I found was a lot of interesting things about Tom and Frank. It really fleshed them out, the stories I read about them by various authors, and not just in books, but a lot of interviews of people who actually knew them. And it really fleshed them out, made them much more human, but also showed some of their flaws. They certainly weren't always wearing white hats. They weren't the total good guys. They were products of their time. They were cowboys. They rode horses. Frank apparently was a a good horseman. I like to think that I inherited my love of horses from him. In fact, my uh, sass alias was Frankie McLowry because I kind of, I think I'm a little bit like Frank. I kind of shoot first and ask questions later, or at least I used to. I've learned not to do that so much. Uh, it killed him, so uh, I don't want to... Those same results. But I've really learned a lot. I still will defend them up to a point, but I can't say that they were innocent by any means. 
They didn't rob any stages. There's no proof of that. And that makes me mad. People go, oh, yeah, they were stagecoach robbers. No, there's no proof that they ever robbed a stage. They were fencing stolen cattle. They were hanging out with some very undesirable people. Frank, in particular, was kind of a mono mono type of guy. He was short, which may have contributed somewhat to that kind of an attitude. And I just um, think that, you know, they kind of got themselves into a, a really bad situation. I'm not even sure if they were actually stealing cattle, whether or not they actually went out on any of these raids, but they were definitely dealing in stolen cattle. Because they had a ranch, though, and I know that you and a few others have been trying to find the ranch location in the Sulphur Springs Valley, kind of out towards um, Elfrida and McNeil. And if you're unsure about these places that we're talking about, uh, they are small towns in Cochise County, but they're beautiful areas. The The McClowey Ranch, have you found that area? Have they... Have you been able to completely document uh, Yeah, we know approximately where it was. Now, different people have had, you know, different locations, but it's all in the same general area. You sort of look in the background and mm-hmm. uh, see sort of the same mountain range, right. and you kind of look at that. So exactly whose property it's on now, because all these properties have changed hands many times. And, you know, we're trying to go back and look at the original deeds, which are kind of messed up because when Tom and Frank were killed, parts of their ranch were sold off to different people, some of it most likely in payment for services provided uh, when they were killed. So it wasn't like, and everything is listed as the McClory Ranch. There's no actual legal description of latitude and longitude. The records say, oh, yeah, the Mulgari Ranch, or one quarter of it was sold to this person, and and I've looked. I've been to, you know, the courthouses and different things looking for that information, and I'm still looking. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's a, a work in progress. We need to make a road trip. You need to come back out and then with Eddie and make a road trip to the county records building in Douglas. Um, and I think there's another records building over in Bisbee. I've been to Bisbee, and uh, unfortunately, some of the information is missing. I think oh. it was on, like, the index card, but the microfilm was missing. Gotcha. When when did you go to Tombstone for the very first time? I think I was in high school. High school or college was the first time I went. And when would that be year-wise? Because I'm not trying to say, you know. I <laughs> well, the reason I ask is is because... You know, can we give your age without you punching me in the face next time? <laughs> yes, that's okay. <laughs> so I, you're 70, right? Or, in, or younger? I'm, 70, I'm 74. 74. Oh, 74. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's a long time. That's 60 plus years ago um, or 50 plus years ago. And you're in high school. And this whole time you've been researching the McClowries. Was there anything that you found that surprised you to where you went, wow, not only is that not discussed, but it's never been shared, and holy cow. Well, the thing the thing I hated most about Tombstone were those like giant paper mache statues in the OK Corral that were just awful. 
Um, they've since replaced the uh, older ones. But that was one of the things I hated. But I, I really didn't get deep into the research until the Internet. So that was later. Oh, gotcha. Um, you know, I maybe read a few books when I was in uh, in college. But it wasn't until really long after that when, you know, I got my first computer and I got an, and one of the first people I met was Terry Ike Clinton. He was mm -hmm. one of the first people I met on the internet. And it was like, oh, there's other people who are researching this stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is cool. I found Terry Ike Clinton, a Clinton relative. So for me, that was kind of exciting. And then it just kind of went from there. And I discovered BJ's Tombstone History Discussion Forum. Right. And I made it my goal to meet everybody on that forum. And there was Casey Tiller and Gary Roberts, Steve Gatto, mm -hmm. all these writers. And I made it my goal to meet them. And I did. I, meet them, I met them and uh, discussed Tombstone history with them and became good friends with them. When you went to Tombstone for the first time, and you went to Boot Hill Cemetery, graveyard, Boot Hill Graveyard. Right. And you went and you saw the graves of the McClowries there. Was it weird to see that for the first time and to see their names and go, that's my family right here. And this is, not only is it my family, but they're in one of the most recognizable and famous towns in Western history. How was that feeling? It was, well, almost emotional. I mean, the, those are my, you know, great grand uncles that are buried there. That's, those are their graves. That's their tombstones. Now, whether or not that's the exact location is another right. thing, but it was, yeah, kind of, Kind of an emotional thing to, to see that after all this time. And I have taken flowers there. I've learned you don't buy real flowers in Arizona. You take fake ones because real ones don't last. Not long. Well, and they, I kind of looked out there and thought, oh, this, is, this isn't a bad view uh, if you're going to be buried in, uh, in Boot Hill. Now, again, their graves might not be in that exact location, but the general area does have a nice view. Did it? Was it a surreal moment? And I know it's kind of weird because for me, if I was like a McClowry or I was an Earp, I'll say an Earp. If I was an Earp and I go into Colma, California, near San Francisco, and I walked up to the grave marker and went, oh my gosh, that's my name and that's my family. It would probably, for me, like you said, be a surreal moment. I would be like, holy cow, that's somebody that I read about and was told about and handed down through generations. There it is. There he is. Yeah, I guess you could say it was It was somewhat surreal. Um, when I went to Tombstone, it would have been in the late 60s. Mm. I, um, it was quite a few years before I got back. There's probably at least 10 years before I got back there. And then once we started having, you know, gatherings there, I was going to Tombstone once or twice a year. Hmm. And, uh, an Irish television, uh, production filmed me at Boot Hill. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of interesting because when they aired it in Ireland, 
that was done in Gaelic. So they dubbed me in Gaelic. Gotcha. <laughs> Weird, funny. When when you went to, I'm sure you've been to the OK Corral, like you said. And the OK Corral, and for people, and Pamela will probably agree, like it really happened on Fremont Street. And people have called, I call it the incident on Fremont Street. Because that's really where most of it happened. When right. you went to the OK Corral and you saw the paper mache, which now have been replaced with pretty lifelike statues, mannequins, whatever you want to call them, do you even look at those and go, holy cow, they're right there? Like it happened there. I probably did initially. Now I've been there so much, I just look at it and go, eh. <laughs> it's... Um, you know, because it's become such a tourist thing. And, you know, you see all these people going all gaga over it. It's, I just kind of look at it as being a little too Hollywoodish. Mm-hmm. I think people have kind of forgotten that, you know, these were real people. In the last Wildlife History Association journal, the one before the one that just came out, Roy did kind of a neat obituary type of thing, recognizing Tom and Frank as people, not just characters in a famous gunfight. And that's who they were. They were real people who were killed on the streets of Tombstone, shot dead. And people sort of forget what that must have been like to be a victim of a gunfight, to be the victim of a gunshot wound, you know, in that moment. It, they just become almost like fictional characters. And so for me, when I see the OK Corral, when I see those statues, they don't really mean anything anymore because I think of the real people and the real event and the emotions that were actually going on on the street. Well, in, in one sense, though, Tombstone is a working town that relies on tourism and... There are amazing people that live there that keep the town that's too tough to die alive. And as much as, you know, we do say, I'll say, oh, it's kind of Hollywoodish. That's why I tell people, like, there's more to Cochise County than Tombstone. Like, go see Tombstone, spend the day there, have some fun, you know, go to Big Nose Kate's, have a big-ass beer, have some great food. You know, go to the go to the courthouse, which has got a fantastic museum in it. See as much as you can, and then the next day, leave. Like, go to... Gleason and Wilcox and see Warnerp's grave and go to Cochise and the beautiful Cochise Hotel. Like there's so much to Cochise County besides Tombstone. And but it's a working town. The other yes. part of it well the other part of it too is is Mark Boardman. When I interviewed Mark Boardman, I, I we were talking about the effects of someone being shot and killed in the in the eighteen hundreds. Because movies play it off, and then it's just like he's dead, and then it pans away, and you don't think about the outcome. And Mark was very, um, not graphic, but very, uh, um, the way he described it, that when a, when a man or woman was shot, you know, a man was shot in the 1800s, the, the toll it took, because it affected multiple generations, like it just didn't stop and then end there. Because the McClowry family was affected and those parents were affected and the and everybody down the line. And look at you, you were even affected. 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we have to look at what happened during that period and think about the fact that it affected, is, is the, the effect is crazy because it just, it never stops. It just keeps going and going. Like I'm sure you've told your, your children about what happened and, and, and their family history. I was trying to get my son to watch the movie Tombstone, and I don't know if he was, you know, about 20 years old or something. And um, so he was watching it, and I could think, well, it didn't happen that way. And no, that that's all wrong. And he finally said, if you don't be quiet, I'm not going to watch this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wanted him to see it because it was, in spite of all the inaccuracies, it was still one of the better movies. And I wanted him to just get a feel for how popular this particular event was and you know sort of get the gist of it and but I had to he couldn't watch it you know with me there because I just couldn't keep my mouth shut well I I do the same thing I do and now I watch the movie by myself because (laughs) everybody around me is like oh my god would you shut up we're after the events and everything that went on with the McClowries in Tombstone. I would assume the family had a deep hatred for the for Doc Holliday and the Earps. Because yeah, because at TTR is an Earp family member. Yes. Explain how that first meeting went about. Um, well, I've met various, you know, Earp family members and as well as Holiday. Um, and the first time the Earps, it's a whole family. The first time they came to Tombstone, I pretty much ignored them. Um, I was a little, a little standoffish. And now I'm great friends with them. Uh, they, you know, I sit next to them at breakfast. They save a seat for me under the buffalo at the OK Cafe because that's where I always sit right. and we've become good friends but it it took a little while i you know had this sort of dislike of the earth family had been built up in me for so long that i it took me a while to warm up and eric and i did a really neat thing one year when we were actually there on the anniversary of the gunfight i mean we stood together and we held hands or something and they did a, a little ceremony and it was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was a neat thing. So it's interesting how your family history and the stories you're told as a kid can affect you later in life. You kind of have to find your own way mm-hmm. by researching and then learning to kind of deal with the reality of it today. Now, I still get defensive if somebody says something I know isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, if what they're saying I think is true, I may not like it, but I won't necessarily argue the fact. I'll just kind of shrug and, oh, well, that's kind of the way it was. Well, the reason, and that's kind of weird because I'll tell you the very first time I was in Tombstone as an adult after moving to Arizona, my wife and I went down. I met a lot of people, I, and, and Joyce Aros, I've, I've mentioned Joyce Aros many times before, and she's a writer, and she's written a book called The Murder in the Streets of Tombstone, and she lives in Tombstone. 
and uh, and she's on BJ's page, and she's very pro cowboy, very pro cowboy. But the interesting thing was the very first time I went to Tombstone as an adult, I got asked a question about, oh, what do you think about so and so, and I based my opinion off of the movie, and I said, oh, that person's a jerk. Ah, he's a jerk. Not knowing how many people in Tombstone um, are direct descendants and still live there in town. Like, for example, Dusty Escapul, who's the mayor in town, he, uh, his, his I'm not sure if it's great-great-grandfather, how many greats back, um, was John Escapul that has gets... Um, confused all the time with Doc Holliday. It's, it's and it's not. He's he's John Escapul is his own man. Doc Holliday is his own man. And and I learned in Tombstone after going there to shut my mouth, <laughs> you know, and not give an opinion because there's a lot of people that are direct descendants that still live there and they're third and fourth generation. Like Nancy Sosa. Nancy Sosa is a friend of both you and I. And I think she's like the fifth or sixth generation that born and raised in Tombstone. Right. Yeah. Crazy. There's uh, and and I've tracked down people from uh, Tombstone because I learned that there was a lot more to Tombstone than the gunfight at the OK Corral and some fascinating people who lived in that time. And so just for the sake of research and because I found something interesting, I've tracked down you know, relatives of people who live there just to get their story that has nothing to do really with the gunfight. It was just somebody who was there during that era. And there certainly are a lot of connections. Mm-hmm. When did your, or not when, but did you or your family get any items from that period that have been passed down through the generations? Not really. I have my great-grandmother. I have a table that belonged to her, mm-hmm. um, which probably has, has nothing to do with Tom and Frank unless it had belonged to her mother. But um, no, nothing. there isn't anything that is directly related to uh, Tom or Frank. Um, I guess it was Frank's gun was lost. It was kind of passed down, I think, to uh, Will McLowry and somebody in his family. And it fell in a, a creek or something like that, and it's lost to history. And nobody knows really what happened to Tom's gun. And there was a belt buckle from Frank that I think ended up in Will's family. He might have a couple things. My family, my direct line, didn't get anything. But Will McLowry, because he was the attorney, Tom and Frank's brother, who was the attorney who went to Tombstone uh, during the, the trial, mm-hmm. His family ended up with some things. Cool. Now, the, besides the McClowries, which is a big part of your family, you've also written papers and articles for the WWHA, have you not? And what you know, are you a researcher? Yes, I've uh, written for uh, Wild West, True West, um, the National Outlaw and Lawman Association Journal, which was the predecessor, one of the predecessors of WWHA. And I've written for the journal. I've been a talking head on uh, some TV, you know, productions, um, including um, the History Channel. 
And then, um, yeah, I've written articles and done interviews and that kind of stuff. And the Wyatt Earp Anthology, I'm very proud to have got uh, at least two articles in that particular publication. I love that book. I love it. Yeah. I, I interviewed Roy a couple weeks back, Roy Young, who's um, a huge part of WWHA and the Wyatt Earp Anthology. And uh, I, I told him that I read it front to back until I got like almost to the end. And then it dawned on me that I needed to use it as an encyclopedia, like a go-to reference guide and not read it front to back. And he was like, yeah, you shouldn't have done it that way. But it was, it's such a good book. And I still use it for reference today. How was it when you wrote the articles, did they approach you? And just say, hey, Pam, we got something we want you to do. Or were these articles already written? And they said, hey, hey, Pam, we want to use them. The articles were already written. Mm. And then they came to me and said, you know, do we have your permission? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people they approached. And uh, they couldn't even put everything in there they wanted to. It It's a big enough book as it is. They wanted to. Uh, there were a lot of good articles out there, and it, boy, it sure runs the the gamut of information about you know the herb story and wider. One of the articles I have in there is how the term "OK Corral" is used all over the world for various um, meanings, from everything from uh, a skirmish at a football game to some sort of political uh, disagreement or fight. Anytime there's any kind of a, a kerfuffle, so to speak, uh, or little fight or something like that. And this is all over the world. I found articles from uh, Asian countries, from the Netherlands, and of course from every you know, state in the union using the term, okay, corral to describe some sort of an altercation. Right. So somebody's upset. Dude, you and I are squaring off at the OK Corral. Um, but I read that. So when when your article got, and they came to you and said, we want to we put this article in, and you said, yeah, OK. Did you know that the book was going to be so big and that it was going to turn out the way it did? Or did you think it was like, well, they're going to use it. I don't know how they're going to use it, but here it is. I had a pretty good idea because I knew who was involved in it. I knew who the other authors were who were going to have articles in it. And so I figured that it was going to be in Urpiana, which is, I don't know how many people are familiar with that term, but that's all things Erp, Urpiana. I knew it was going to be a pretty big deal. Yeah, the Erpiana part, um, uh, I'll say it, I got sucked into it. And David DeHaas, who is um, a friend of mine, we've never met, but we speak quite a bit, more than, than I thought that we would after we did the podcast. And, and David wrote a book about the Erps in Los Angeles running bootleg liquor. And, you know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at how much the Erps still are prevalent today and still being talked about and they still keep showing up. And, um, we're only like, I think seven years from the 100th anniversary of Wyatt's passing. 
Yeah, I still don't like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> really? No, I don't. I'm a, I'm a little tired of him. Um, he has become, you know, so iconic. And I'm not, you know, I mean, the guy was a pimp. He was a gambler. Right. He was a lawbreaker, right. uh, a horse thief. He was a lot of things. So this idea that, you know, he was like some Legend. television cowboy hero mm-hmm. uh, bothers me. Um, he was another, Wider puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. So I get a little tired of, well, there was another term that was used several years back called Wyatt worshipers. And that's when it was, you know, either Wyatt worshipers or, you know, cowboy apologists. There were all these words and labels that were given to things. And fortunately, that sort of thing has kind of died out. Right. But, He's just so popular. Yeah, he was brave. Um, you know, I certainly will give him that. Um, but I just get a little tired of him being so special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are a little more realistic about Doc Holliday. And there's another really interesting character. And we know he killed Tom because Tom was killed with a shotgun. Why are, or Doc Holliday is the one with the shotgun. So I know he killed my great-granduncle. Um, and he's a really interesting person. And for some reason, I don't dislike him as much as I dislike Wyatt Earp. And I guess the Wyatt Earp thing may be a defensive thing on my part. But it's the idea that he is so seemed to be loved by a lot of people. And I'm going, really? <laughs> well, I think a lot of it, too, is the movies that are portrayed and and people reading what they want to read or in fact not even reading what they want to read seeing what they want to see and then when you talk to people and you'll say yeah he was a you know he was a pimp right and they're like what like he was a legend i'm like he's a pimp like and he did this and he did this and they did and they're like oh my god there's no way no way yeah yeah Mm. yeah you get um you know all these famous actors who play wyatt earp and people, you know, and then you've, of course, you've got Hugh O'Brien and the, uh, the song about brave, courageous, and bold. My dad hated that show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I've interviewed Bob Bose Bell. And in my Bob Bose Bell interview, he sang the song Wyatt Earp. And fortunately, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm 58, so I didn't watch the Wyatt Earp. I was a Bonanza guy. Oh, my God. I love Bonanza. And... <laughs> He sang the song, and then I said, well, how do you feel about it? And he says, my grandmother would say, you know, that that Wyatt Earp, you know, he, I hate him. He was a horrible person. And, you know, and um, funny. It's funny how people view Wyatt Earp. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, that reminded me when, uh, well, my, I had a, a relative, a Lowry relative, who was a, about the same era, I don't know, it was my grandmother or great-grandmother. But anyway, she lived in Tucson. And she was very involved in, you know, local uh, community organizations. She wouldn't tell anybody who she was related to. Because she said that emotions still ran pretty high about the gunfight at the OK Corral. And when I met her, it was in the 70s. And she still wasn't telling people who she was. Mm-hmm. Because she was afraid it would reflect on her character mm-hmm. there in the Tucson area. 
Well, yeah, because it's it still is relevant. I mean, not even relevant, but it's still touchable because you do have people that are involved. And people live in Tucson. People live in Phoenix, Casa Grande. You know, they're they're all over Southern Arizona, and they're they're tied to it. They're tied to it. And they're tied to the town and they're tied. So, you know, if somebody's listening and they're thinking, oh, I'm going to go to Tombstone, like don't walk into Tombstone and say things like, oh, those Clantons are jerks or whatever, because the family's still there. They're still there and they're still involved in the town and they're still involved in the history. And, and in reality, they're fantastic people. They lived during that period. They were men of, of their time. So, you know, here we sit in 2021 and past judgment, but they're still in that period. They were doing their business. They were ranching. They were trying to put food on the table, trying to take care of family, however you see it. But they were still legitimate people doing legitimate things. Yes. When, yep. When you um, were coming up to the end, we've already got 45 minutes. It goes fast. <laughs> Is there something about you that if you would, were explaining the McClowries that you would want people to know like a takeaway? Something about me? No, about or, the McClowry family. Like if somebody oh. said those McClowries are jerks, they got everything that they, they deserved. Like if there was a takeaway about the McClowry family to help people say, wow, I, I didn't know that and I need to, I need to learn. Well, you know, they were like so many other families. They were farmers. And their dad, you know, pretty much cracked the whip. They were out there farming and during the day, and they were reading the Bible at night. And that's the way they were raised. And they were young and wanted some adventure. They wanted to get out from under their dad and, you know, out from farming and wanted to lead a life of their own and something a little more exciting. And so that's what they did. And of course you have to make a living. Right. And since at least Frank apparently was pretty good with horses, stands to reason that they, you know, would become cowboys and eventually ranchers. Is there, I'm going to ask this question because I ask it all the time. Is there something about Pam Potter that nobody knows. Like, you know, I'm trying to think. I interviewed a guy about cowboy hat, or Roy. When I interviewed Roy, Roy wanted to be a baseball player. Is there something about you, Pam Potter, that you would only share here that nobody at w- WHA is going to listen? <laughs> that um, <laughs> About you that you know, nobody knows. I wanted to be a horse wanted to be a horse yeah i wanted to be, i wanted to be a stallion and i wanted to you know run with my mane flying and uh whinny and uh, be free i wanted to be a wild horse wow <laughs> crazy tell me something too one more thing one more secret tell me about the three stuffed animals that you have carried with you for over 70 years that you got as a child what are their names and and tell me about those. Okay, well, there's this is going to sound weird. I, I have this one that's a squirrel. But when I was little, my dad told me 
that he was a kinkajou. So his name is Kinky. Now that has a whole another meaning nowadays. But as a as a little kid, that was my favorite stuffed animal, and I I slept with Kinky. Then there is the little black girl. Her name is Topsy, and she was made out of black stockings. And then there's the bear, and I think he was made in Germany. And he's just an old teddy bear that's pretty stained. Uh, Kinky lost his eyes. He's lost his fur. He's like the velveteen rabbit. All of his fur has been loved off of him. Hmm. And then, of course, there's Arlo, but Arlo's a new addition, and Arlo shows up on Facebook uh, occasionally. Uh, Lately, he's been going to bars. Really? Yeah. Got to watch yourself in Texas bars. They're not like (laughs) He's been mostly in Tombstone bars, actually. So does he go into Doc Holliday's and to Big Nose Kate's? Oh, yeah. Look yep, there's a picture of him having one of those big ass beers at uh, those Kate's. Okay, well that's interesting because yep. I knew about the stuffed animals and I'd seen the photo and I'd seen a little blurb about them, but I wasn't sure the exact story. So I'm glad we were able to to get that out. <laughs> um, well, too bad I don't still have my stick horse because Rocky, he was one of my favorites, but he's uh, he's long gone. Long gone. But you wanted to be a stallion. Like you wanted to be yes. a horse and run free and the wind in your hair and going across the open plains. Right. Okay. So when I was a kid, I was either riding a stick horse or I was pawing the ground and winning and running around the neighborhood. What was your name going to be? What did you want to be called? Oh, I don't know. One of my favorite stories was Thunderhead, uh, which uh, was about a wild horse. I don't know if I had a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I did, I don't remember. So the next time I see you, if I call you Thunderhead, am I going to get punched? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't know if I will uh-huh. know uh, what you're talking about or not. If, if I recognize your voice, no, it's you. Yes, I might turn around. If somebody oh, else said it, please. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, please. I can't wait to see you in Rapid City. And There's Thunderhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got about we got about five minutes left. Is there anything that you want to um, plug? Is there any charity that is, that you are involved with that um, deserves some recognition? Oh, that has nothing to do with Western history or whatever just, is important uh, to you. Oh well, I you know I always donate to uh, Alzheimer's oh. and uh, and cancer. Those are the two that um, that I support, as well as an organization called Westside German Shepherd, which is in Los Angeles, and they rescue German shepherds, gotcha. uh, puppies, or you know, abandoned dogs. Gotcha. And uh, when I was uh, oh, for several years, I volunteered at hospitals, but uh, with the, the no name virus going around, I. Working in a hospital isn't exactly what I want to do, but I, I volunteered at hospitals for several years. Hmm. Well, that was one of my passions that most people probably don't know about. Well, that's cool. Uh, you're involved with the WWHA. What is your title right now? What position are you in? I'm past president. Past president. Because you, you served three terms, I believe. 
Yes, I was on the steering committee. Oh, I was on the board of the National Outlaw Lawman Association. And when they merged with the Western Lawman Outlaw Association, um, there was a steering committee made up of members from both organizations, which put together uh, the Wild West History Association. So I was on that steering committee. So I've been around since the beginning. Because I think Roy said that it was Sacramento area you had your first meeting and didn't go too well? Yeah, that was the first uh, kind of combined meeting, and it was uh, kind of exploratory right. to see if we thought we, and it didn't go all that gr- great. So it was a couple of years later before uh, people really sat down. And I mean, it was too hard to keep two organizations going. Right. There just weren't enough people interested in Wild West history and the people were getting older and we just felt in order to survive, we needed to combine. And it, it was a, a great move. It's, it's been really good. Uh, the Wild West history association is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It, um, it goes for the real history, not right. the legend, not, you know, the Hollywood version, but demands research of primary material, uh, chain of evidence, provenance, and all that kind of thing if you're going to write about right. Western outlaw lawman history. So we're going to close this one out. I got a couple of plugs again. Uh, one, uh, Wild West History Association. You can do become a member at wildwesthistory.org. And uh, again, check out the, uh, the memberships because I think you guys will love them. And I, I really do. I, I urge you. Because the new journal comes out, it's over 100 plus pages, it's over a quarter inch thick, there's no like makeup ads or TV ads or car advertising, things like that, it's just pure history and I love that, pure history and you sit down and, and, and I'm only a, maybe 10 or 15 pages in and I still have another 80 pages to read, like it's crazy how much history is in there. And if you want to become a member again, check out the wildwesthistory.org. And of course, my good friend over at the Tombstone Epitaph, Mark Boardman, who's the editor, which is Arizona's longest running newspaper. It is chock packed full of history and it's in a newspaper and it comes mailed to your door. And oh my gosh, you guys are going to love it. Again, subscriptions are 25 for one year, Two for forty-five or three for sixty. If you do the three for sixty, you save fifteen bucks. Like it is phenomenal. You guys, I I can't like when I come home and I see it sitting on the counter. I'm like, holy cow! I drop everything and I just I I just can't wait to read it. Um, and Mark Boardman and the guys and gals over at the Epitaph, oh, they're doing great stuff. And you, if you want to subscribe, uh, you can do so at Wild. Uh, excuse me, not Wild West. At the tombstoneepitaph.com. Tombstone Epitaph. And that's E-P-I-T-A-P-H. Tombstoneepitaph.com. Subscribe. You guys are going to love it. I swear you're going to love it. You're going to love the history right to your door. Of course, I want to thank Pam. And I want to thank everybody that's involved. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so at my blue-collar email address at hvacreeferguy at gmail.com and I do air conditioning refrigeration for a living and so that's uh, that's the reason for the email um, of course if you're listening to Apple uh, on iTunes leave a review give it a rating four star five star one star star whatever it is just give it a rating and a review uh, I appreciate you because I don't get paid for any of this I do it just because I love you guys and I love Pam um, 
And my charity of choice this year, and they really need help, is uh, Food Bank. St. Mary Food Bank is my charity of choice. That's the one that we give to. One dollar feeds seven people. Fifty bucks saves three hundred. Uh, there's three hundred fifty meal or three hundred. Uh, yeah, three hundred fifty meals or three hundred fifty people. Like it's crazy what they can do. So find a food bank near you. And lastly, there is so much crazy stuff that goes on in the world. Just reach out to your neighbor. If you haven't seen them, knock on their door. And, and see what you can do for them. Maybe there's a, a lady or a, a guy or a senior citizen in the neighborhood that needs a little help. Like just bring in their trash cans or fill up their gas or go and get them dinner, whatever it is, and tell them that you love them. Because, man, when you do that, it just changes the outlook of everybody. You feel great. The person feels great. Man, I just love doing that. So, you know, be good people, be good humans, and we will see you next time.